Oh, hello there, friends. Welcome to the show. This is Andrew with the Raised by Whoops Fake Radio Show. I'm one of two guys who does this for you. The other guy's Glenn. He's currently traveling in the United States. I think he's in Texas at the moment. Freaking Texas on purpose. Yeah, uh, we're, we're having a good time here. I got a guest for you today. Her name is Allegra Bandy. She and I met uh, via Zoom for the first time uh, at the Voice One School for Wayward Chatty Cathy's. Where we were, where, where, where we are both learning how to speak into microphones professionally. She already knows all about it, but she's just enhancing her skills. I am obviously still learning. Yeah, so we met over Zoom, uh, kind of chatted a bit. Then we met in person one time for coffee, and I think she's a super cool person. And I asked her if she would be on this program, and she said amazingly yes. And then drove from Oakland, California, to my house. In, uh, in Marin County. She drove over a bridge, up some hills. Super nice of her to come out here. Hung out with uh, Pele and I. Pele had some shit to say in this episode. Um, he's been mostly edited out. I left in a few little pieces uh, just because it's contextually part of our story. But yeah, we had a good time talking, and I'm very grateful that she came out here and shared her story with me, and I hope you get something out of it. I'm sure you will. She's a talented, interesting lady, and uh, yeah, she's a singer, a producer, an audio recording engineer, does all kinds of cool stuff. So yeah, buckle up, man. Get ready for some Allegra. Uh, what else? We got some... We got some stuff for sale on the website if that's your thing. We've got shirts, mugs, phone cases, some pants, underwears. Do you want some underwear that has like a microphone on the codpiece? Well, we got you covered. We got lady shirts, man shirts, you know, stuff. Uh, it's just it just says raised by whoops on it. One of them has Pele, the dog who you're gonna hear from in this episode. It's a picture of him on a shirt. Right, crazy. What else? Uh, Glenn, is, uh, he's got some more stuff coming up, more interviews with more musicians. I'm really enjoying those. I like his style. I like what he's doing. I was telling him the other day that I've just become a fan of his podcast. He's, he's good. I like him. Uh, what else? I don't know what else. Life's good. I'm starting to get a cold. It's the first time I've been sick in, I think, three years, maybe, maybe more. It's kind of weird. It's familiar. Don't like it. But uh, I'm taking care of myself, you know, working, drinking lots of fluids, telling you things you don't really need to know. Doesn't matter, right? What's important and what really matters is that I got a guest and her name's Allegra and she's coming up right now. I hit record at a weird moment. She was telling me about her name and uh, I, I showed up late to the game and just hit record in the middle of a sentence. But I'm leaving that in because, you know, this is fake radio and we can do whatever the hell we want. All right, here, here she is right now telling you about her name midway through Allegra Bandy. Share and enjoy, people. Adios. Allegro is means fast or quick tempo. Right. Allegria. I've heard the word 
I think it's like a um, like a colloquialism or a slang thing for um, was it malegria? It's it's like uh, like you and I would say bittersweet or like a oh yeah something a little nice, a little sad. Allegria, malegria, 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 malegria. Mm. Maybe that's how you say it. Uh huh. But I don't know if it's a real word. I think it's like a bad happy. Yeah. <laughs> bad happiness. Right. Well, you're hopefully. Um, I mean, yeah, I guess maybe everybody's a little bad happiness, right? I mean, that's kind of... Yeah. Well, alegría is happiness. Right. With so. two L's. Uh, no. No? Just, just one? one L. Mm-hmm. Well, welcome to the Spelling Bee Podcast with Allegra and Andrew. I think the best way to learn something is to teach it to a slow and dim-witted pupil, so we could really instruct some people with you teaching me how to spell. Maybe. All good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a retired teacher. Yeah. I don't really do that anymore. What were you, what were you teaching? <laughs> I was teaching um, all a bunch of different subjects from kindergarten through adults. Wow. Um, yeah. I taught mostly music oh, cool. um, and performing arts. Fun. Mm-hmm. Teaching kids, I've only, I've been like a soccer coach. I've never been a teacher. But I used to uh, I used to go around with this like um, bicycle powered generator, and I would go to classrooms, and it was the greatest thing in the world to teach kids as like a fun substitute, or as like a you know especially if the teacher kind of hyped you beforehand. I have no idea what it's like to be their regular everyday teacher. It's you, a lot. <laughs> yeah, like nothing breeds contempt like familiarity. You know, like see you every day and they just treat you like shit. Or did, what was your relationship? Or you just, or they really love you. Yeah. <laughs> you really love them, even though it's like uh, building a family mm. for like a few months, right? Yeah. You have like, you have your, the folks that you see every day mm-hmm. and they're like your family and with the malagrias <laughs> right. <laughs> feelings, yeah. you know, towards everyone. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. I, I try to think back on like the teachers that I had as a kid. And uh, I mean, there's certainly some that I would like to send letters, like an apology, like a thank you slash apology. Do you have any like kids that you think back on that are, I mean, how long ago was that that you were a teacher? Mm, oh my goodness. Probably well, over a decade now. Um yeah, let's see. I started teaching when I was 15. So, okay. So well, there's some adults out there <laughs> that could that remember you as their teacher. Yeah. Wow. So, That's yeah, I was I was um I taught for an organization called Aim High and it was okay. an academic summer program for middle school students. All right. So 7th through 9th graders. Wow. And I did that for like 10 years oh yeah there's some full-on <laughs> they've got their own kids oh, yeah. Now. yeah wow um, and then i used to teach at the oakland uh for the oakland public schools mm-hmm. um i taught at oakland tech high school and um i was their performing arts director i uh, taught band uh choir and piano and then i was also in charge of the pep band the pep band uh, yeah, hauling the children and drums. Oh my god! <laughs> or the teenagers and drums. Wow! Uh, to the sports games, so the football games and the the basketball games. Nice. 
primarily where we were we would play. Well, that's cool. Mm-hmm. All right, so we'll, let's back up because we jumped right into like one just weird little tiny part of your career. <laughs> yeah, so you, I've had many lifetimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like it. So, all right, you are from the Bay Area. You're a wait. You were wait. Were you born in the Philippines? Mm-hmm. I think you remember you tell me. Okay, you're born in the Philippines. You came here when? I came here to the United States when I was about four years old. Okay. And uh, grew up mainly in San Francisco in the Sunset District mm-hmm. and um, went to, you know, elementary, middle and high school there. And then also went to college at San Francisco State University. Nice. Nice. So this mm-hmm. is home, sweet home. your terra firma. This is your most comfortable place in the world. I huh? love the Bay. <laughs> I love the Bay. Yes. You're local. You love it here. You've traveled and lived elsewhere or have you always always lived in the bay area i've always lived in the bay area but i do yeah. love to travel right and right. i always love to come home for yeah sure i just went to milwaukee the other week cold oh yeah not oh. my favorite place no what were you doing I, in milwaukee you got family i do okay. i was visiting family i think you mentioned that your dad lives out there yeah mm-hmm. uh, so all right your bay area through and through and you've made a career out of art, right? Like music, creative art, books, and stuff. So I have a audiobook production and publishing company. Mm-hmm. It's called Odawa Publishing and Odawa Productions. And we specialize in nonfiction, mostly author-narrated um, audiobooks. Right. So I've been doing that now for the last 11 years. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Gosh, yeah, 11 years. Uh, and that was um, kind of inspired by uh, me wanting to kind of break into the journalism field. Um, but I, yeah, I'm not really a great writer. I just really like doing audio stuff. Yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> I really like being an engineer and um, and recording other people and documenting um, documenting the world in that way. Yeah, yeah. We need we need chroniclers. We need people who care about the story. You know, for sure. Where, where did uh, there's several things in that I want to ask you. One, uh, Odua. What where does that come from? What's that? The significance? Right. So Odua is a Yoruban word. Um, stems from Odudua, which is a Yoruban deity. Um, but Odua is kind of a version of um, the end and the beginning. The end and the beginning. Very cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, that's pretty apropos for recording a thing. Yeah, for totally. Sure. <laughs> very. I'm a very project-oriented person. Yeah, so. <laughs> I'm getting that. I'm getting that. Okay, so where did you learn engineering? Where did you pick up that skill? Um, from a number of different, uh, sources. Um, I, let's see, I, a lot of it's self-taught, but I've also had some pretty awesome mentors. Mm-hmm. Um, Miles Boyson, uh, of Gorilla Hi-Fi. Um, he has his studios in Oakland. Um, he, yeah, he's like the mic microphone guru. Oh, nice. Um, let's see. And... I also took many, many different 
types of production classes uh, over at the Bay Area Video Coalition in San Francisco. It's now known as BayVac Media. Okay. But back then it was always just BayVac, B-A-V-C. B-A-V-C. Bay Area Video Coalition. Nice. And I took, you know, audio production, um, sound for video, um, they didn't really have a lot of studio classes, like in-studio audio uh, recording, but I did audio editing there. Um, I took filmmaking classes there, graphic design classes, wow. uh, coding classes. Jeez. Um, back when there was like Dreamweaver, uh, so to like make yeah, websites and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, a lot of the Adobe suite I learned there. Cool. Um, had some really awesome teachers and I was like, I just need to learn how to do everything. And, you know, that's kind of how I've always lived my life and, Mm -hmm. um, kind of a, a Jill of all trades type person. (laughs) But, you know, I realized just, you know, being my own boss and having to, you know, all the, all the creative things that I like to do, I have to initiate myself and, at least, you know, get stuff off the ground and then hand it over. Right. Right? Yeah. Hand it over to the professionals. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah. That's a tremendously valuable person to have around. Someone willing to do anything but knows when to put, you know, put the best player in the game. Mm. You know, that like that's, that's a tremendous uh, skill to have to know when to pitch in and when to get out of the way. You know, For sure. That's cool. I like the DIY part of it too, that you're just like, look, I'll, I can learn this. Oh you know? yeah. yeah. I'm, I've always been like that. Like I love to do many different things and I love to create, mm-hmm. you know, from audio content, video content. Um, I'm a big knitter. <laughs> oh yeah. Sweaters and hats or Sweaters blankets? and blankets and scarves and... Where, where does that come from? Did you have that as a kid? Was there somebody knitting around you? Oh, there was a after school program that I went to when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And they had a bunch of activities that you could learn, like macrame or um, crocheting. So I learned how to crochet when I was like eight years old. Wow. Um, and just picked it up and loved it. And like would crochet Christmas ornaments oh, and hats great. and stuff. Um and then when I was about 30, yeah, when I turned 30, one of my best friends um, said she would teach me how to knit. And so wow. since then, I've just, you know, I've been obsessed. Off. That's great. Completely obsessed. I've got a friend who teaches sewing, or for many, many years, she taught sewing to children. And uh, she had me do like some construction projects in her house to like make her st- her sewing studio like a little bit more friendly for the kids. So I got to watch her in action and it was, I mean, she's already like a, you know, that, that kind of teacher we were talking about that like inspires you and is so fun and full of like, um, a joy for the thing that you're doing that you get more out of it. And so watching her, you know, she is already like to me an inspirational type of character, but then to watch her interaction with those kids, it's like, wow, those kids are going to remember her forever. And they'll they're getting a skill that's useful forever, but they're they're more than just learning how to do the thing. They're learning like an awesome way to be a person. 
you know, just to be that excited about stuff and that interested in sharing it is like such a cool thing. It sounds like that might have rubbed off on you as a kid. Totally learning how to make things and um, there, you know, it definitely develops like a sense of a, a of accomplishment when you can make yeah. things with your hands. I mean, mm-hmm. you do woodworking and, you know, all crazy lot of things yeah. <laughs> with your hands, right? Yeah. Um, so to be able to like make something and then step back and be like, wow, there it is. There it is. Yeah. You know, manifested this thing that I made with my hands. Yeah. Particularly something useful like a sweater or a blanket or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I love that. My my grandma was a big knitter and uh, there may be some blankets still left somewhere on the planet that she made. But it, more than just having the thing, it was watching her do it. I've always been fascinated with like people's hands, the way their fingers move and like how they hold things and stuff like that. It's such a cool thing to watch mm-hmm. and to re- have a memory of, you know? Yeah. Muscle memory. Muscle memory. It's, yeah. it's wild, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love that. Yeah. Okay, I, see. I'm at the point now where I can like, if I can set the book open, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Prop it open. I can knit and read. Oh, that's cool. At the same time. That's cool. And get more, get through more books. Yeah, yeah. It's better than sitting and watching TV and knitting. You know, you're getting. Yeah. A lot of people will be like, well, why don't you just listen to an audio book? Well, I just make them. Yeah. I like, yeah. <laughs> I like to turn a page. I, I do too, man. I, I, I do like audio books, but there's so much to listen to at any given point. If I'm going to listen to something, mm. it's either going to be music I do like podcasts. Um, me too. I hate the word podcast. It it's something about it irks me. But I, I do <laughs> I, I like um I, know, I like the art form or the the just anybody telling you stories or telling you about a thing. Totally. Or conversations, me. right? Oh, Listening it. to other people's conversations. Totally it's fascinating. It. it is. It really is. Yeah, I love podcasts too. Thank you for letting me be on yours. No, thanks for coming, man. I really appreciate it. I know this is a nice long way from home for you to come out here to the wilds of San Anselmo. So it's, Whatever, it's man. Good, man. I'm all over the bay. Nice. I'm nice. all over the world. Everywhere. Yeah, I like, um, I like conversations... And I do like audiobooks. I listened to the, um, was it the hundred year old man who climbed out the window and disappeared? Have you listened to that? No. It's hilarious. It's like, um, it's this British guy reading, you know, it's a great reading and the story is insane. It's like a weird Forrest Gump commentary on everything that happened in the past a hundred years. Uh, but centered around this old man who escapes a nursing home and it's just brilliant. That'll be me. Yeah, <laughs> that's the only one I've listened to recently. And I have, so I, I like a purchased a thing from Audible. So I've got all these unused credits because I don't listen to them enough. Mm. Yeah, I need I need to read more because I have ambition to read audiobooks, which requires a lot of reading. You have to read the book before you read it out loud, you know, and, and understand the material. Oh, so you want to narrate audiobooks? I do. Uh, yeah, yeah. I Even think it would be great. I know it's not great paying as a gig, but it's satisfying to, you know, to render a story that pleases the person who wrote it and hopefully whoever listens to it. That's satisfying. Telling stories. Yeah. I do plenty of other stuff that's not as satisfying. I mean, like building things with your hands, while it is gratifying, is not always the most like pleasant thing to do. 
and it can be very physically demanding and frustrating and you know For sure. slamming your finger in between a a board and a hammer is not always great oh, you know that's right <laughs> yeah but all right so i'm i'm all over the place but so yeah you're you're using creativity to get into the things about what you're curious and you've managed to make a living i mean you you told me you were a singer and still are a singer mm-hmm. did I you still perform live yeah do you do you make any kind of money off that or is it just pure fun or it's both it's very little money yeah especially right now because i have um I'm in the process of building my recording studio Mm -hmm. and I've kind of punted projects till the, till after it's completed. So, you know, rehearsing bands, um, booking gigs, booking audiobook gigs, (laughs) Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. I'm just, I'm kind of in the quiet before the storm, you know, this, this time of, uh, replenishment and reflection um <laughs> just to take some time yeah. to um to plan yeah right all the all the amazing things that i want to do in that studio yeah come up with my evil plan yeah to rule the audiobook <laughs> world well so let me ask you this why um what was it that caused you to focus on author narrated rather than just generating being a a publishing house for books right so right now it's been mostly nonfiction because um coaching an author who might not necessarily be a professional vocalist someone who might have never been on a microphone in a recording studio before right it's a lot easier to coach them um when to to narrate something that's either in the first or third person Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, versus fiction titles, which might have a gazillion different characters, mm-hmm. right? That they would have to develop and and pull out. Um, yeah. So, you know, maybe maybe a few characters here and there, right? Um, but nothing that's you know uh, throughout the whole piece that would make it really difficult for mm-hmm. a non-professional to do and right. come out with a great performance. So, and I also love nonfiction. I love true stories. Mm-hmm. And um, I also feel like this is part of um, my mission to produce content that helps people. And that's, that is the mission of my company for mm-hmm. Odua is to produce content, audiobooks, audio works um, that help people make their world a, a better place, a more joyous, equitable, and peaceful place. That's a pretty good mission. And, and to, to give voice to the, the author themselves, you know, like a, it's, it's one thing to write the thing, which is hard enough, you know, but then to, to feel right. like you're, cause I do feel like any person who's actually written the thing is going to immediately know the tone they're going for, but to read that out loud and get that tone is not as easy as you think, even if you've written it yourself, you know, to, to get that across in a way that's still engaging. That's authentic, right? Authentic. And it doesn't sound like you're just reading. Right. Why would you, if you had the choice to read or narrate your own autobiography, mm-hmm. Why would you have an actor do it unless you were dead? 
you know. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> so, I mean, imagine if like yeah. Martin Luther King got to read his yeah. own audiobooks. Amazing. Right? Right. What a voice. Yeah. Um, you know, I want I want to hear Mel Brooks. <laughs> oh, yeah. I want him to write his audio autobiography and read it. Yes. I want to hear that. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd listen to that for sure. You know, that kind of stuff. So yeah. I, that's what I want to document, like these really unique voices mm-hmm. from folks who, you know, have written works that change the world, mm-hmm. that help people. Yeah, no, I, I, I feel very similar about that. Um, it's one of the reasons I like talking to people and recording the conversation. It's just, it's a, it's a person that might not otherwise, I mean, you obviously are going to be in front of microphones. You have been in front of microphones. You're going to do it. You're sort of an outlier on our program that, you know, someone who would, uh, who does this a lot, you know, but I've, I've talked to many, many people who've never done this and Mm -hmm. that have just would otherwise be shy. And the, the note that I always get from them is like, Oh, when I ask, would you like to do this? Or like, I'm not very interesting. And no one ever... You Everyone's know, their own worst critic. And everyone says that. Everyone says, oh, I'm not, I don't have that many stories. There's nothing great oh to talk gosh. to me about. It's like, well, I understand that. And I appreciate that you say that. And um, I, can, I can understand, you know, I have an empathy for that sort of critique of self. But uh, let's just let somebody else decide, you know. And, you know, it stems from like not having the stories of my grandparents or even my dad. Like, I don't, you know, I don't have any of that sort of stuff. There's no archive of that sort of thing. It's just hand-me-downs from other people telling stories, and it's a game of telephone. I know I get it wrong right. when I recount a story. It's something my dad told me. I'm certain I'm, I screw up what funny thing he said. So, And, and just the sound mm-hmm. of someone's voice is cool. Totally. You know, never mind just, like, what they may have to say, that their own idiosyncrasies of of the way they speak. It's like the tone and timbre of their voice is so like all the shit that goes on in their throat and their head and their body to make that specific sound to me is really cool. And so to, to make any kind of imprint of that, to save it is, is cool. <laughs> we, we met this old man in Washington when we were traveling, my, my wife and I, I don't know, like five, six years ago, his name was Russ Yuley and he was in his eighties. And, uh, He'd never even heard of a podcast, didn't know what it was. But when I told him, like, look, we, you'll just come and sit with me in this van and we'll, you'll talk and tell some stories. He's like, oh, yeah? And he's, like, looking at his wife and she's like, oh, you should tell him about the worst day of your life. And I was like, you should definitely tell me about the worst day of your life. And he tells me this story that was like a comedy of errors. I mean, just one screw up after the other. Oh, my gosh. You know, with it, re- involving an RV, which was kind of apropos because we were traveling and I was like, wow, that's really great. It was a funny story. But then just tangentially told me another story that was way worse, like so much worse that didn't even occur to him to be part of the worst story, the worst day of his life. And it was like so much more of an engaging story and that he didn't think was interesting at all. And the only reason he told it was just kind of like... His wife said, you should tell that story. Well, I just kind of drew it. Like we just... Through talking about, you know, where we were and what we were doing, he just happened to just tell this other story that was like so much better and so much scarier, you know, than that what he perceived as the worst day of his life. And it it was great, you know, and and I have never been able to contact. I got in touch with his daughter, Mm -hmm. 
but I have not been able to reach him. I haven't been able to find him. I don't know if he ever heard it. He or... is the hundred-year-old man that escaped. Yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> the nursing home. Yeah, escaped his RV, and uh, yeah, he would say Washington. 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 I still, every time I see the word, say the word. We we rode our bikes throughout the entire state of Washington, and that we kept on saying. My wife and I were both like <laughs> Washington. Yeah, and so that sort of thing makes me really. Um, charmed by the voice not just the thing that they have to say but like the the instrument itself to me is is fascinating so mm-hmm. I mean, it's mm-hmm. cool that you're doing that and specifically for people who would otherwise not you know that's that's awesome so and you've had some success in that like people have written good books and you've been able to um you know give people i imagine a confidence to do it again is there anybody oh, like, yeah. that's been like they're they're gonna d- repeat with you and do it again? Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. I have I have a bunch of repeat customers. That's great. <laughs> clients. That's cool. Yeah. All right, so um, you know, you've, I'm jumping all over your timeline here, but you came from the Philippines, raised in the Bay Bay Area, sort of focused on creative stuff, whether it was you know music, working with your hands, you. Uh, at what point did you transition into doing what you're doing now? You said it was about 10 years ago you got into your own publishing company, but what was the transition point between music and that? How did you bridge that gap? So I retired from teaching Mm -hmm. uh, K-12 and um, I wanted to get out of education, take a break from, take a break from teaching, take a break from just academia in general and um a friend of my my housemate was like oh i got this gig um that needs a new operations manager to nonprofit organization i think you'd be perfect for it so i was like oh okay nonprofit journalism organization i was like oh okay i'll go check it out went for an interview it was the center for investigative reporting Um, They were based in Berkeley and um, I had also worked with, uh, you know, in administration for um, other universities and and schools and whatnot. So I was like, oh yeah, I can, this, this, this would be fun. They were a staff of eight at that time and wanted, was getting ready to grow. So they needed someone to help them grow. Yeah. Um, And within the span of, uh, five years that I was with them, we went from a staff of eight to a staff of 80. Wow. Yeah. We moved through two offices and I helped them build out a couple of recording studios in that time. Um, during the first build out, the first recording studio, um, cause I persuaded them cause they were getting ready. They had just, uh, partnered up with frontline world at that time and um, was doing a whole lot more uh, video productions and, and stuff like that. Because um, it was long-form investigative journalism. So they were doing more multimedia stuff. So I was like, you guys are running out recording studios here and there all the time. You, since we're moving, we should just build out our own studio, our own recording space. And they said yes. Nice. And so I was like, hey, here we go. Um, and I wanted a project that was outside of that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
to kind of work out the bugs of the studio and also cut my teeth on Pro Tools, yeah. which I hadn't learned yet. Like I learned uh, Logic and I had learned, um, what is that? Adobe uh, one. Like not the, the Adobe one, but the... Audacity or one? No, it was the, the basic one on Apple, it, GarageBand. GarageBand. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Love GarageBand. Yeah. I mean, you know, this was back in 2010, mm-hmm. 2011, something like that. So um, I had my own record label already, and um, I was getting ready. I had uh, closed that out and started Ottawa from Ottawa Records to Ottawa Productions okay. because I wanted to do more multimedia stuff as well as... Um, Break up. It was a partnership before Ottawa Records, so my partner like moved to Albuquerque, left me with the business, and so just closing that down, creating a new new entity, mm-hmm. um, and doing more multimedia stuff. So I was um, I partnered up with one of the other producers in at CIR, um, and we got commissioned to do uh, a series of shorts video shorts um finger puppet videos what public service <laughs> announcements for kids oh my and god that's awesome use the recording studio for that um so i you know got got a chance to record my nieces doing like kids voices kid voice characters and um you know the the first one was on lead poisoning awareness. Wow. There was a lot of lead um, at that time that was getting imported from other parts of the world that contain, like jewelry that was yeah, containing yeah. lead that kids were like putting in their mouths. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and wearing and, and stuff like that. And wow. so just lead poisoning awareness was one. The second one was on water pollution. Um, don't litter, <laughs> don't pollute your waterways. Um, and the third one was on earthquake preparedness. Wow. And that was through uh, California Watch, which came under the umbrella of the Center for Investigative Reporting. Right. So, um, yeah, Warren Hellman had uh, had owned California Watch, and then he passed away, and it kind of went into a little um, transition, whatever. Right. And we absorbed that. Nice. So through California Watch, the the Red Cross actually um, picked up the still uses the coloring books that went with the third <laughs> that third video, oh, the earthquake great. preparedness. Yeah, they're still using that stuff, and that's cool. um, it's still on YouTube. Um, it's still using uh, the video. It's called. It's under Junior Watchdogs. Okay, Junior Watchdogs. On, uh, yeah, for CIR or California Watch, something like that. So you learned on YouTube on someone else's dime how to do all the stuff that you wanted to do. Well, because we were a nonprofit organization. Yeah. We got our. I got to take free classes at Bayvac the Bay Area Video Coalition. So cool. So took advantage of that. That's why I was like, yeah, yeah, I took all these classes. They were free. So And and just building out, you know, being hired to do the job and building out the studio, you learned a lot. I mean just learned a whole lot. Yeah. Never mind like 
how to even arrange your preferences around that sort of thing, but to you know work with contractors and mm-hmm. you know, all that sort of stuff is invaluable. It's the sort of thing that you, know, you to get paid to do that to learn that is pretty hip. It was really fun. Yeah, it was that, a lot of work. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, that's great, and yeah. that's now helping you doing what you're doing in this moment. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, we recorded the first audio book out of that studio as well oh nice yeah that first studio that's great that's great so now your your studio you're building that in your house or at a different location are you renting a spot or what are you doing it's at my property in oakland yeah so we tore down the garage structure okay my house was built in 1905 and i think the rat palace that the old garage was was also built around then so Mm -hmm. we've since demolished it and mm-hmm. poured a whole new foundation a couple of weeks ago. Wow. Yeah, that's done and it's being framed out now. That's so exciting. It's I'm sure it's a soaking wet mess at the moment. Right now, this, completely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we lost power yesterday. Oh man. So there's you know, there's one guy out there working today. He's like, No, no power. I was like, No, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> of the storms. Yeah, you I know. do not know how we didn't lose power. I mean, I, if you can, you're in my house right now. You can see we're surrounded on the backside here by nothing but trees. I mean, it was mm-hmm. bananas here yesterday. I'm sure it was just as bad in Oakland. It was raging. Wow, the winds were just all over. And I went crazy. across two bridges yesterday too. Oh my god, it was really scary. I was white knuckling the whole yeah. time. I was yeah. on the road. Yeah, I, I did very minimal driving yesterday. I'm very glad of that. Okay, sorry. This won't be the (laughs) weather and language podcast, I promise. Okay, so you're you're moving right along. You're going to do your own thing. But previously, you'd been renting studio space to to do your stuff. And And I still do. You know, depending, I work with authors all over the country. So Mm -hmm. depending on where they are, I will rent out a studio space that's close to them. And you just do live direction, like uh, via Zoom or Source Connect or something? What do you... Um, yeah, via Zooms, um, not Source Connect because I'll we'll record there in that space. Gotcha. Um, and versus capturing it via Source Connect, which I actually I don't know how to do that yet. I'm Source going Connect? to learn. I've never used it either. <laughs> I've never used it. Oh, yeah. So whatever, I'll just either fly out or and you know that's my preference is to be to with be my there. client yeah. in the studio so I can. So I can see them. So I can yeah. watch what they're doing with their body, how they're breathing, mm-hmm. um, you know, because I'm also a performance coach. Right. So want to make sure they're getting the best performance they can. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So we do we do coaching, uh, vocal coaching before we get, even get into the studio. Nice. And so then by the time that they're stepping up to the mic... They're prepared. They're ready. Right. They've practiced. Cool. They've gotten in some time with me or another acting coach. Um, and yeah, and we knock it out. Where did you learn to direct? Because that's such a specific skill to have like an ear for what it should sound like and then to be able to give useful guidance in that vein. Like where did you pick up that skill? Well, I was a teacher. <laughs> Yeah. Right, but I, mean, I did you, teach band and right. choir but that, for but, a number of years. But it's I mean I've been so it's only been recently that I've gotten like direction from people. It's and it's different than instruction. Mm. You know, it's not like 
I'm oh, going to yeah, teach you a lesson. Sure. I'm trying to get a specific performance out of you yes. with these things in mind. Yes. And I, I like I'm I've been um, amazed by my instructors at Voice One, which is I should say where we've met online. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great school, lots of cool and very sophisticated hip teachers and instructors that are like also great at directing. And I feel like they're similar skills, but they're very they're also very dis- distinct in that like. To teach someone a thing to help them understand a lesson is like it's one thing, but to guide someone to a performance mm. to me is it's it's new. Like I've never had that before. And someone been like, okay, you know, what's your motivation? Where are you coming from? How are you saying this? Why are you saying it? Who are you saying it to? Blah blah blah. Right, because the director knows what you should sound like. Right. So that's what I'm trying to get at. Like, where? How do you know? <laughs> like, how how is it that you came to know what it should sound like? Because it's it is a it's both times it's subjective because you know what it should sound like to you maybe not totally but there are some i would say quasi objective truths in that there are some things that just objectively sound awful (laughs) and some things that are closer to what most people would be willing to tolerate in their ears so like where where did you get that sense in that um just even the confidence to have agency over a person and say oh this is this 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 you know, do do these things and you'll sound better. Oh, um, repetition. <laughs> yeah, just working, trial and, and working with a lot of different people. Mm. Um, you know, I've I've been been an instructor and have been vocal coaching and um, directing people in audiobooks now for almost twelve years. So within that time, you know, I've worked with a bunch of different kind of people. Yeah. And it's definitely been trial and error. You know, I also had a podcast, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, doing little mini direction uh, for that show, mm-hmm. right? Making sure that we had a really good, that we had really good sound. Yeah. Right? Recording in my living room mm-hmm. on my couch with, nice. you know, in Oakland with a BART train oh going by about a block <laughs> yeah. away. You know, and on Sundays it was Harley Day, so oh my God. there was always somebody rolling by <laughs> with like the loudest, the loudest vehicles oh in God. Oakland because it's Oakland, right? So right. you know, training, yeah. just practice, practice, and um, trial and error, mm-hmm. finding what sounds good, what doesn't. Yeah, and there's a certain amount of just self confidence in that. You know, start the, the forgiving a lot of forgiveness for, for myself. Self forgiveness. That's a good way to put it. That's a better forgiveness for yeah, sure. That has a better connotation, I guess, than confidence, because confidence can come from a lot of different places, from not knowing any better, from from right. knowing just enough. But yeah, forgiveness. That's cool. That's a that's a good way to look at it. And you know, and within that process is recognizing when you messed up. Right. Right. Oh. Right. Right, I shouldn't have done that. Okay, next time. Yeah. Next time, I'll remember. Like when I when this happens, I should do this instead. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That kind of thing. No, I, I'm really a big fan of being directed. I'm, I'm, I kind of want it more in my life because I'd never really experienced before when someone is listening very intently to what you're saying, and or what you're doing, how you're doing it. And then has notes on how you could improve upon that. It's like, it's... There's always room for improvement. There's always room for improvement. Always, but... 
And yeah. it's it's so much better than like because I've been nitpicked before. You know, I've had like sort of incessant micromanaging critique before. So, I mean, I get that a lot as a as a builder. <laughs> you know, which that's one thing, but clear direction is awesome. Like, I, I, if AI is ever going to do anything for us, if we could just like have a pocket director, like an AI, AI pocket director, that'd be awesome. That's what I want. I just I want somebody to like. Do the same sort of sensitive, yeah. cool stuff that. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like you know, you live and learn. Oh, you live, for you sure. live and learn. For right? sure, you're, and, and that's part of the fun. It is of it fucking is, up, right. you know, and like, <laughs> right. okay, don't do that anymore. Right. Or, yeah. Right, but it's the someone that knows that you did, and other than just you feeling the shame of it and having to forgive yourself, someone who's wise and knows and it's like actually if you would try it this way that'd be way better you know that'd be great so anyway that's i'm i'm yeah. I, the reason i bring this up is that i just am kind of um i'm fascinated by directors people who can guide someone in that way is uh it's a cool skill that i think i i don't know what brings people there other than just like a willingness to do it and a, a trust in themselves and that whole, like you said, the forgiveness is a cool way to think about it. But And knowing that you will fuck up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Even for the sure. directors. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. And it's like, and, and to be okay with it mm-hmm. and to use those moments. Right. To learn from. Right. And to, as a, as someone giving a performance to trust that the director's taking that hit. If you are screwing up and the director's like, yeah, yeah, you, or if the director's screwing up, they're going to own their own thing. And there's so much trust involved in that sort of thing. So I, I think about it like with, um, with therapists now that are, you know, they're, they're looking to the psychedelic assisted therapy, right? And the, the main bridge that that makes between the two people, you know, the patient mm. and the therapist mm-hmm. is this like shortcut to trust, mm-hmm. you know, that, that you can bridge many many sessions of therapy with a single you know dose strong as it may be of a, of a particular compound that will help you empathize and trust this person who's there to help you in a way that you know well yeah i think it's really important to trust your witch doctors yeah. <laughs> i think you know if you don't 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 see them don't go yeah don't go and, but I mean, you're you're in a way when you're directing people to to give a performance, even especially on something that they wrote, you know, that they it came out of their brain and they're saying it, and for you to be able to get them to say it in a way that will connect with people better, the trust involved in that is like tremendous, you know. That's so interesting that you're paralleling, you know, like psychological therapy and. Uh, and like audiobook production <laughs> direction, audio totally. direction. It is, that's really interesting. Like, you know, you are going to go see your therapist and then you're going to go see your shaman, mm-hmm. right? To help you make magic. Yeah. Right. So I've got a friend, he's in his 80s now, but he was a, um, a music producer his whole career. I mean, started in, like you, he started as a musician and this other, he was actually a sociologist or a, um, no, what was he? Uh, oh my God, anthropologist. He got a degree in anthropology, mm. and then you know, but <laughs> played banjo. He's like, how am I going to make a living as a banjo playing anthropologist? 
and he ended up in the the village in the 60s you know and like was playing in all these bands and uh realized like i think he listened to the beatles once he was stoned at a pizza place in the village and he heard the beatles come on a um come on a jukebox and was like man i i want to make this music this quality of production but with folk instruments which hadn't been done that wasn't a thing didn't mm-hmm. exist and so he hopped in a studio and found all these great artists like you know the mamas and the papas and john sebastian and put together these great groups that created folk rock mm-hmm. and it was for him to be able to have in his mind the agency to to go from just i heard the beatles do this i want to do that but with these instruments and here's how it happens like that to me seems like an alchemy of sorts that i just can't like it's amazing and he, what he described Taking advantage to me, right and at that time there was so much technological advancement in record in the recording industry oh yeah right there's so Huge. much happening at that time um oh, just some beautiful microphones that came out of that time yeah right and to take advantage of that was really wow yeah he yeah. he took he took a major leap and it was right leap. place right time but he right place right time the reason i i equivocate or or can kind of parallel the two things of therapy and you know production audio production is his because i've asked him these similar questions like how did you get what made you feel like you could do this you know well everyone should have banjo for therapy (laughs) sessions like i would love that if my Uh, therapist you know suddenly broke out a banjo can you imagine jesus oh i would be so healed he'd be like oh man i've got way bigger problems or my problems are way smaller than being a banjo player i can just not be a banjo player. I love that instrument. <laughs> no, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's one of the world's oldest string instruments. Indeed. Yeah, it's super cool. I like um, Mongolian banjos too. Oh yeah, those are wild, man. Yeah. That Tuvan throat singing with yeah. a banjo behind it. I awesome. love it. Yes. But he would talk about like getting a performance out of somebody. You know, these are people who are like, you know, smacked out on heroin or had various, you know, like serious demons that they were trying to work out, mm. and that he had to be with them and be present with them and respectful of whatever journey they're on, but also get them to give their best thing. And he, you know, mm-hmm. he was able to navigate that. Mm-hmm. And I, that's what I think of. That's why I'm so like keen on the idea of there being some sort of link between those two things. Cause I, I don't imagine you're dealing with a lot of heroin addicts, but no. you know, you still are <laughs> dealing with people who are racked with self-doubt and self-loathing and all the things that artists and creative and writer types sure. are, are dealing with. Yeah. So to help them navigate that and deliver something that's like oh, compelling yeah. to other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you seem to have kind of a gentle approach with it. You know, I can't imagine you yelling at people in the booth. That doesn't seem to be your style. No, that's not super effective unless they're like setting things on fire, you know, like... <laughs> Right. Or like, don't drop the mic, you yeah. know, that kind of thing. Right, right. Um, no, it's it's a gentle it's a gentle process, right? Mm-hmm. It's our voices, and it's it's a direct link to our soul. That's right? funny that you say that. I was just reading uh, Camus, the the um, the myth of Sisyphus, and he talked about that that the voice is as much body as it is soul. It's very much a whatever soul is, you know, it's such a ambiguous thing, but like, yes, 
it is an instrument of your body, like your hands or feet or anything else, but it's coming from your brain, yeah. which is this thing that you think of as being separate from the causal nexus of all things. It's, yeah, a direct it, link to yeah. our consciousness. It's amazing. And that, that's not to deride people who don't have one or who can't speak. I mean, I don't, you know, it's not that you're a lesser thing, but we, the, the people who do have it are privileged and, and gifted in a way that we don't necessarily think about, you know, what you use your voice for. It's so easy to take it for granted. Right. You know, like, have you ever met anybody who's missing a finger? You know, oh, like yeah. a very, or, or a, a, a limb or any, any type of instrument of the body. Mm. It's like, oh man, I'm really glad I have all 10 of my fingers. I'm so grateful for my stupid voice. <laughs> like, wow, that I can communicate all this stuff in a way that most people understand. It's a gift. Yeah. They are gifts. Do you speak any other lang- languages? Um, a little bit. Uh, what do you speak? Uh, a little bit of Espanol. Mm-hmm. Um, I did learn, when I was in college, I learned how to sing in uh, French and German, wow. Spanish, Old English, Latin, Russian, um, Portuguese. You had to have learned some Portuguese, no? I didn't. No and Bossa I wish Nova I tunes. did. I wish I, well, a little bit, but not enough yeah. to where, like, I can, that I enjoyed it. it. Mm. Um, I have since studied Portuguese um, a little bit. I studied Spanish, uh, blah, blah. I spud- studied Japanese Whoa. Uh, for a number of years, and I am learning Mandarin now. Wow. Yeah, so you get the whole idea of like taking your voice and trying to communicate it in a lang- in a different language. Like that's such a weird, trippy thing because you can like if you're desperate to get an idea across and you just don't have the words. Mm. And when you when you hit that, you know that barrier, that wall of communication where your words are just failing you. It to me like I, I do a lot of construction Spanish. You know, I, I work with guys that, and I, I sound like a very confused five-year-old. Mm, you know, like a, yeah. I mean, I, I can get the point across, but there are times when, you know, like we're talking, we're hanging out, we're doing stuff, and I want to understand their story better or tell something that I want to say. And when you can't get that final point across, it's like such a vulnerable and weird feeling, you know? Yeah, because you're not thinking in Spanish. You're thinking in English. Totally. So. <laughs> Totally. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, studying languages is a trap. It's amazing. I love it. But it's, mm-hmm. it is definitely a, a shift in, in your consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. Of how you process the world around you um, in the language that you are fluent in. Right? Yeah. And really being fluent in another language, you're thinking in that language. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely find myself, I'll come home and I'm still speaking. Spanish, or I'm talking to Pele in Spanish because, like, uh, when I work with those guys, it's all day long. Yeah, like, it's only speaking in Spanish. But yeah, so you get to a point. Yeah, right. You oh, do yeah. get to a point where it's like that's no longer a table; that's a mesa. Right. <laughs> Exactamente. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I love it, and uh, I get so um, I don't get frustrated with it, but I definitely get to the point where I feel. Uh, I feel a special type of empathy for those guys because, you know, they don't have any English. You know, what they do have is extremely limited to like maybe purchases. Um, and there's like a, there's almost 
a lot of these guys, they give each other a hard time about it too, you know, about learning things. There's this machismo and, uh-huh. and, then there's, and then there's time. I mean, these poor guys, a lot of the ones that I work with, they just don't have time. Right. You know, they get home, they're absolutely exhausted. They spend as bare minimum on food as they possibly can. They live together. So I, I just, I feel real, um, real fortunate for sure, but also like a, you know, when they, when they want to communicate something in English, it's like I worked with this one guy, Mendez, and we were doing this thing where we would trade back and forth. Like he would speak some English. And I'd try to like half the day, give him a chance to, you know, like speak English to me and I'd, you know, help him with it. But it's like, I, I want to practice my Spanish too. So we're trying, you know, help each other back and forth. But it's one of those things that's so um, like the voice. It's something you can very, very easily take for granted is your capacity to just make yourself understood. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I um, just recently visited my my dad and my stepmom. My stepmom's Japanese. Mm. And so, you know, being in their house, they speak Japanese to each other. Really? So it's just, <laughs> and it's, um, it's, it's a reminder of that, that consciousness shift, right? Yeah. Of like thinking in a different language and like, yeah, <laughs> you know, him telling her to bring him stuff. Or, yeah, yeah. You know, like stuff about food and um, different ways of being in their house. It's just, yeah, yeah it's it's a trip. Um, and realizing, wow, there's this barrier. Right? Mm-hmm. I have this barrier. I am not, I haven't practiced Japanese in years and years and years. And um, so being, being not conversational anymore, um, you know, it's like, oh, well, what do I say, right? I had, I found myself using Google Translate, yeah, right, for text messages, which has ended up being like a total lifesaver. Yeah. Yeah. So, which, you know, you can use that uh, dictation function, mm. right, where you can speak into it. Right. And then it'll translate into the other language and then you can send it off as a text. Amazing. The Tower of Babel. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. Amazing, yeah. right? And it also makes me wonder, like, how how can we make this more accessible to folks? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I'm thinking, like, about your coworkers. Do they even know, like, what kind of access that they have to the technology that yeah. will enable us to all understand each other? Yeah. Oh, a lot more, you know, like. No, it's a, it's a good thing to have and to understand and to use, you know, but there's something else going on. Just like when you're, when you're sitting around people who are speaking a language that you don't understand mm. and the way that, you know, you've even consciously or not, you're, you feel this alienation. I mean, literal alienation, you know, you're just like out of Oh, that was my thing. whole childhood. Yeah. My mom, you know, she's fluent in Tagalog. And would not speak it in front of me and my brother. No way. Yeah, because she didn't want us to understand what she was talking about, like adult conversations. Oh, shit. I know, right? Like, me and my friends are like, yeah. your mom messed up in that way. But, um, missed opportunity, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but so you know but that, mom. you know that feeling, you know, that, that being alienated. Totally. By, because you know it's things you understand, it's concepts you can grasp. But just the words are gobbledygook to your ears, you know. Context. Yeah. yeah. Like you can it, pick out words here and there. Like right. I knew she was pissed off about right, somebody, yeah. you know. 
<laughs> but yeah, yeah, I couldn't quite grasp, you know, the total context. Yeah, the things you right. lose. The, so much of my understanding of Espanola is built around contextual, you know, right. the in the moment. Building. Seeing, yeah, you, okay, okay, this is this. Right. and the, Yeah. Oh, and here we go. Yeah. Delivery the, time. Yeah. It's okay, pal. The mail carrier. You're doing a good job. You're doing a good job, pal. Keeping I like his eyeliner. Yeah. It's getting grayer by the day. Uh-huh. language mm. for a whole other language of communication like animals i think about that a lot like mm-hmm. what are we missing in animal communication like what sorts of things do they understand and communicate with one another that maybe we don't like when you hear birds mm-hmm. chirping it's like are they really just talking about wind speed and where the worms are or is there something else going on you know? right we can't hear the same way no yeah are you, so I want to, mm-hmm. before we move on, um, I'm fascinated right now with AI, like absolutely transfixed by not just the strangeness of the thing itself, mm-hmm. but the ramifications of the thing, what's going to happen to us. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's one thing to just say, okay, there's this supercomputer that's thinking faster and able to analyze things. And uh, you know, processing information way better than us, and that's that's one thing. Sure. But the the fact that what we're going to be able to use it for in the future, and what things it's going to displace, is such a weird unknown. And like I, I, you know, I think as a as a potential voice actor, I feel like I'm I'm kind of going long on horses in 1900. You know what I mean? Like. Cars are just about to be great and everybody's able to to afford one. I kind of feel like a lot of that, a lot of what I want to do might not be an option for human beings anymore. Do you have a a sense of that? Well, you're not going to be alive forever, Andrew. Oh, I I certainly hope not. Right. So take advantage of the time and space that you have now to produce your voice as it is. Right. I feel like AI will be around and and it will grow and it will be there, but honestly, no one can really replace you. Like you have your own unique voice that's attached to your soul. Mm-hmm. Right? That the AI will never be able to capture. Not truly. Yeah, I mean I agree with that. And I agree that there's a lot of value in real human voices, for sure. However, I heard a great analogy the other day. Someone was talking about the difference between a hand-woven rug and machine-loomed rugs, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, most rugs on the planet right now are machine-loomed. People mm-hmm. still do buy hand-woven rugs. I have a couple. I think they're awesome. Mm-hmm. really love them. But, you know, if I'm going to put one somewhere that I'm not going to really see it very often, or if I need one on the cheap, I buy a machine loom rug and don't think twice about it. Even right. though that there is a, a greater, more 
uh, intrinsically valuable, you know, quality to the handwoven thing, I will and have done and probably will again buy ones that are not. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a human voice is the equivalent of the handwoven rug. And the AI shit is like this machine woven thing that is going to be cheap and mass produced and totally. paid for much more often. So that that's, I guess, the, the, the thrust of my question is like from just a booking standpoint or from the, the, the future of the business that we're kind of in, where do you feel like AI is, what, what's it going to do? <laughs> do you have a... AI will be available for the people who want to buy the cheap rugs. Mm-hmm. For sure. And those who value authenticity and, you know, and soul will seek out the authentic soulful voices. Yeah. Right. The, what I, AI does not pick up, right. Or does not put out anyways, are the mistakes, mm-hmm. right. Are our blessed, beautiful human right. mistakes that make, you know, a lot of the performances unique mm-hmm. because we mess up. We are human. Yeah. Right. And that's part of the beauty. Mm-hmm. It is beautiful. I heard uh, Bjork. Do you like Bjork? Mm, I do. She was talking about like catching hell earlier in her career about using electronic stuff to make music. She's like, look, if, you know, the, the critique was that it was like soulless, you know, that those types of things could be soulless. She's like, you know, a guitar isn't inherently soulful. It's right. the music that you put into it. That's right. You no, know, she's like, it's, if you put soul into your music, it doesn't matter what instrument you use to make it. Mm-hmm. So I hope that there is a way, like I, I've used Mid Journey recently. Do you know about Mid Journey? No. It's an AI thing that you can feed in an idea and it will spit out an image based on what you tell it. Mm-hmm. And the more like precise and concise and uh, um, useful the information, the the more closely it will match whatever you kind of want it to make. And you mm-hmm. can tell it, you know, I want to see Jesus Christ riding a biscuit through outer space with a, uh, a squirt gun, totally, whatever you want. And it will produce something like, and you could say, I want it in the style of Ansel Adams, Right, and then you give it some parameters, and you know, an aspect ratio of sixteen nine, whatever, however you want it, and it will spit out something that's amazingly close to whatever you think you had in mind, and then some shit you certainly didn't have in mind. Mm-hmm. And it's like that, you know, that of course is you know not being produced by a thing with whatever a soul is, but it's producing your weird thought, right? Yes. So it, it begs that question: is like, well, what? Where are we in this? Is it soulful? Is it okay? Is it gross? Is it right? Is it wrong? Like, I have no idea. I'm just curious. I think you've... it's. I don't think it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is just another way um, of self-expression because it it still takes that human to say, "I want to see this biscuit riding horseback." I don't know. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> 
I, I like using Jesus Christ in, in various analogies. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, Jesus riding a biscuit. But yeah, it, yeah. it took that. Yeah, it, it takes a human to come up with the silliness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I'm, I'm hopeful, not particularly optimistic, but I am hopeful um, that, that there will be some sort of way to make it all get along, you know. I mean, are the streets better off with fewer horses? I don't know. You know, there's give and take. There's a whole lot less horse shit on the street now. And the streets go further and connect more places. But we have all the attendant problems that come with cars that, you know, are not powered by grass. Right. So, yeah, there's, I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know where where it's heading and what it's going to do. But Are I'm, you planning uh, on getting a horse? You know, I kind of feel like I could do well with a horse. Tiffany it's grew a lot up, better for the environment. Yeah, yeah. My my wife grew up riding horses. She would know what to do with it. You know. You like pets. I do like I do like, you like well, animals. I, I am a little codependent with pets. It's bad enough the codependency I have with my dog. I can't imagine the codependent relationship I would put together with a horse that I literally rode around and depended upon for transportation. <laughs> Whew. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad enough that I take him everywhere. Well. Yeah, our dependence on the land, our dependence on other beings and each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, I've I've taken you on this weird journey with me of, <laughs> of bizarre questions, and I, I I would say I'm sorry, but I'm not gen- not actually sorry. I just oh, this hope, has been fun. Hope you understand it. Great. Yeah. Uh, is there um, I like doing this. Is there anything in particular that you would want to share with the world, with people listening? piece of advice, a poem, a song, anything in particular that you would want to right now on the spot with me talking while you're thinking, come up with. Oh my goodness. Mm. Wherever you go, there you are. Wherever you go, there you are. Wherever you go, There you are, there you are, there you are. Thank you so much. Thank you.
Hey friends, did you like that episode? I sure did. If you're enjoying this program, you can support it by giving us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you have the opportunity to do so. You can also send us a note at rbwpod.com forward slash contact. We'd love to hear from you with any questions, concerns, requests, story ideas, recipes, bogus fortunes, or apolitical rants. As always, if you got a story to share, we want to hear it. So wishing you and yours the very best of everything and less than average amounts of bullshit. Until next time, loving you.